We're not for everybody, but we're for everybody. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. You are indeed. I'm Tabby Smiley. I'm glad to have you listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580 was just showing the sender out of the studio to get him on his plane up to Sacramento. Uh, as we continue our program, I'm delighted, as I always am, to be in conversation with our next guest. I told you earlier, he's one of my favorite guests. And he's back. Elliot Mustall, Justice Correspondent for The Nation magazine, author of one of my favorite books of last year, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. I actually read it twice. <laughs> we'll talk with Elliot in a moment here about why the DOJ lawyers are cowards if they do not indict Donald Trump. He'll enlighten us on the court case that could legalize the next coup. You heard me right, a court case that could legalize the next coup, the next coup that is. I am delighted to be joined by the always insightful, the always delightful Ellie Mustall. Ellie, Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year, Tavis. Hope you're doing well. I am enjoying myself as I watch Kevin McCarthy on track to lose again. <laughs> I, I wanted to start there. Let's just go there. Since you went there, let's go. How are you reading this uh, this this circus in 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 the in the house right about now? I mean, look, Kevin McCarthy has debased himself for Donald Trump in this desperate cloying grab to get power. So seeing him deny the power that he so sweatily seeks is in fact entertaining i'm not gonna lie like it is it is actually funny to watch a person who has pretzeled himself into (laughs) into what he has not get the gold ring at the end of the end of the rainbow but tavis and this is important let's remember why these 19 or so republicans are holding out against him it's not because they want good things right it's because they want things that are so bad they're not even sure mccarthy will go there What these 19 Republicans want is no less than to crash the American economy by refusing to uh, extend the debt ceiling when it comes up next year and shutting down the government. That would be disastrous for the American economy. And basically, they don't trust McCarthy to hold their hands as they lead America off a cliff. And that's why they're objecting. So, you know, I, 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 have, I have no love for McCarthy, and I'm happy to see him just twisted and humiliated as much as possible. But let's remember that these, these people who are, who are doing the humiliation, mm. they do not want good things for America. Yep. Uh, we've gotten our phrase for the day already. I look for one every day, and we just uh, have it, courtesy of Ellie Bistall, uh sweatily seeks. That's the phrase of the day. <laughs> this, this position that he craves and sweatily seeks. Uh, ding, ding, ding. There's our phrase. It ain't getting no better than that for the next two hours, three hours. So uh, there's your phrase of the day, sweatily seeks. That said, um, let me ask you this right quick before I move on. Would your respect for Kevin McCarthy, you have very little anyway, but would your respect for him go up even, you know, uh, an iota if he were to step up and say there is no way that a speaker can serve being handicapped in the way that this Freedom Caucus wants to handicap me and I'm going to step aside, let someone else attempt to do this. But this is not the way that leadership should work in the House. I mean, he can write his own speech. But if he, if he said something akin to that, would you gain any respect for him? No, because he already debased himself by supporting the coup retroactively, right? Mm-hmm. Like Kevin McCarthy had an opportunity to be bigger than he is. And that was right after the coup when he stood on the floor of Congress and he said that the coup was Trump's fault, which it clearly was. 
But then by the next week, he was down in Mar-a-Lago kissing the ring. That's when Kevin McCarthy lost the last shred um, of a soul or principle um, in my eyes. If, you want, if he wanted to earn my respect, and he's not going to do this. They're not going to do this. I'm not, I'm not trying to give false hope. But the respectful thing at this point for McCarthy would be to vote for Hakeem Jeffries. Mm. Because that would say what these crazy 19 people want is so bad for America that I'm actually going to vote for the other party because what these people want is insane. And if he had that kind of um, commitment to put country over party, that would re-earn some respect in my eyes. But, of course, he nor are any of the other Republicans um, going to do that. Remember, you, only need, you would only need, at this point, six Republicans to say... I've had enough of Marjorie Three Names. I've had enough of Matt Gates. I've had enough of Lauren uh, Boebert. And I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to put country over party. It would only take six of them. And, of course, there are not six Republicans with that kind of commitment to American democracy. Yeah. So we won't see it. But, yeah, if he, had, if he did something like that, that would give... That would get some respect. I mentioned yesterday that we are. Uh, I reached out. To, uh, I was in communication with Hakeem Jeffries a couple of days ago. We're just trying to lock down a date and time uh, for him to appear on our program as the first African American to lead either party in either house in the history of this country. Uh, obviously, he has uh, stuff on his hands right now to deal. We got to get past this speaker thing, uh, and uh, Hakeem will uh, will be a guest on our program in the coming days. So stay tuned for an update on when we uh, will be in conversation with our friend Hakeem Jeffries, who's actually coming to California. He told me. So I look forward to uh, having him on. Or in uh, in the in the very near future. That said, um, your take quickly, uh, Ellie, on Hakeem Jeffries as the first black person to lead either party in either house. That's a bad man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I I live in New York, and I and I come from a, a, a more of a progressive background. So I I have Hakeem Jeffries is one of those guys that when you're progressive, he's not necessarily your friend. Mm-hmm. He plays he plays hardball. And he plays. Uh, to win, so I don't. I don't think that Hakeem is going to be um, in any way a progressive uh, uh, standout. He's not Ayanna Presley. He's not um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. He's not one of the. He's not one of the squad. He's mm-hmm. not you know my congressman Jamal Bowman. I say I say that as a policy distinction. In terms of his competence, there was no other choice to replace Nancy Pelosi. This is a serious man. He is um, a good man. There is no hint of scandal or, or anything like that in, in, in his background. He is an extremely intelligent and competent man. I think he will lead the country well. I think that he you know, will crush some of my hopes and dreams underfoot. Mm. But that will be you know, <laughs> in furtherance of good leadership. It's you know, one of the things about the, the Democratic Party that you see as opposed to the Republican caucus, what you see is that while we have real fights, real internal uh, um, discussions, we understand that we're all pulling the rope in the same direction. Some want to go faster, some want to go slower, but we're pulling for the same things. And what you've seen is the progressives and more establishment-type forces able to coalesce consistently. This did not happen to Nancy Pelosi last time. The Democrats just went two years with a three, four, five vote majority at times, and the Democratic House got it done. So this idea that progressives are always well, running around trying to, trying to muck up the, the, the country for everybody else, it's just not true. Hakeem Jeffries is well-positioned to keep Democrats in line and keep Democrats moving forward. I have high hopes for his... Uh, 
for his minority leadership, and then hopefully in two years um, we can turn that into majority leadership. Yep, uh, I'm with you on that, and we shall see how this all plays out with regard to what uh, uh, what position he will ultimately hold, perhaps Speaker. Uh, we also will keep our eye, of course, on Washington, as we are right now, uh, to see how this uh, how this vote for Speaker uh, eventually He's turns out. He's already down nine, and he can't lose more than five. He's going to lose it again. Wow. Yeah, they, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm just laughing at the glee, the glee with which <laughs> Ellie Mistal <laughs> is. Well, I have another friend named Lyle who's listening right now, I'm sure. And Lyle's the same way. Lyle's texting me every five minutes. Every time I go to commercial break, I get a text from Lyle. He's just, he's just on cloud nine. Uh, watching Kevin McCarthy squirm, uh, Lyle. I know you're out there wa- listening and squirming. Uh, wa- I mean, watching <laughs> Kevin McCarthy squirm. I know you. I know you're loving it. Uh, let me do this right quick. I'm watching my clock. I don't want to ask you this question and give you 30 seconds to answer. So let me just tell you where I want to go in just a second, and we'll continue when we come forward. The two issues I raised earlier that uh, Ellie's been talking about. Uh, he mentioned Donald Trump earlier and Kevin McCarthy's um, being sort of a sycophant for Donald Trump. Uh, and so uh, Ellie's belief is that the DOJ lawyers will be cowards. Are in fact cowards. If they do not indict Donald Trump, we'll talk about that. And we'll also talk about uh, this court case that he's been uh, following that could legalize, as he sees it, legalize the next coup. You're listening to Ellie Mistal of The Nation magazine on KBLA Talk 1580. Ellie, I don't have the typical hour that I have with you today, so I'm, I'm, I feel cheated. Uh, I know you got a full schedule. We'll do it again. But let me cover these two things that I definitely wanted to get to uh, this uh, day as we uh Watch um, Kevin McCarthy sweatily seek and sweatily lose uh, this vote in the House right about now. The DOJ lawyers will be cowards if they don't indict Donald Trump. Unpack it for me. Yeah, so look, the January 6th committee did all the work for them, right? It showed how Trump conspired to defraud an American election. It showed how Donald Trump um, tried to obstruct a proceeding of Congress. They laid it all out, four statutes that Trump clearly violated, and they kicked it over to the DOJ. If the DOJ doesn't charge him now, there is no, there is no good reason for them not to. So that's how I come to the coward's point. Any other person who committed these crimes would be charged by a prosecutor, and taken to trial. That is just what would happen. I don't even have to say, it goes without saying that any black politician mm. would have been charged you know, three years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Would have been charged on January 7th. But any politician that's not Donald Trump, that, they, that the DOJ wasn't afraid of, would be charged on these crimes. So the, the question that I have, the issue that I have here, Tavis, is I'm looking at the timeline, and I'm trying to tell people the time is getting short. Let's assume for the sake of the argument that this Department of Justice, Merrick Garland, with the cowardice that he has shown up to this point, will not continue prosecuting Donald Trump after the Republican primaries start, right? Mm-hmm. Because Garland is not going to try and convict the presumptive Republican nominee. So that already cuts us off at around, you know, February, March 2024. We're in January 2023. The quickest timeline tells me that, let's say Trump is charged finally, let's say in in March, right? How quickly can we go from charges to an actual trial of this magnitude? At warp speed, we're talking six to eight months before an actual trial goes off. And I am assuming by saying six to eight months, that the Supreme Court knocks down all of Trump's challenges that he will clearly make um, and knocks them down quickly, which is a huge assumption given this Supreme Court. So now we're in, you know, Thanksgiving time. 
where, which is the earliest that you could possibly have a trial. Let's say the trial takes two weeks. Let's say the jury comes back quickly, because, again, it's obvious. Now we're around the holidays again. Now we have, and let's say they convict him. Okay, well, now we have to go to sentencing, which is a whole other process. Are we going to sentence him before the New Hampshire primary in February? It's just, if the DOJ does, it's not just that the DOJ needs to indict this man. They need to indict this man now, because time is running out. And you know what, Tavis? Merrick Garland knows that. Mm. Jack Smith, the special prosecutor, knows that. I'm not telling them anything they don't know. Mm -hmm. So then the question becomes, are they slow-walking this on purpose? so that the clock runs out and they, and they don't have to hold Trump accountable. Mm. That's why I love Ali Mastal, as I said, one of my favorite guests of all time, because he just he breaks this stuff down, and by putting it on a calendar the way he just did, you see why uh, he's pressing this issue uh, as, he, as he is in this conversation and beyond, uh, especially and particularly in his writings. Uh, let me ask you this right quick. Um, perhaps they are afraid of what you and I have already gamed out, which is the precedent this would set, Ellie. Yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're, they're worried about the, the – remember, it was the Republicans who did the whole lock them up, lock her up thing. Exactly. And they're worried about the precedent that it sets that if you um, – uh, of prosecuting your political rivals when they're out of power. And I understand that that is something to worry about. But you know what you have to worry about more? Not prosecuting criminals. Mm. Because when you don't prosecute a pre- – think about it this way. According to the DOJ, Trump – can't be prosecuted when he is actually the president. I don't agree with that legal opinion, but that's the legal opinion. Trump cannot be prosecuted by the Department of Justice when he's legally president. According to Merrick Garland, he can't be prosecuted when he's uh, uh, running for president or the, pr- or the presumptive nominee for president. That leaves, like, what, like eight months where, you know, when the moon's aligned and Jupiter is in the house <laughs> of Venus, that... Trump, is that really what we're talking about here? What kind of precedent does it set if a president can commit crimes while in office, be protected from prosecution while he's in office, and be protected from prosecution as long as he says, oh, I might run for office again someday? But is that, again, not to, not to make this all, not to, to make the obvious racial comparison, right. but do you think that would work for any black man on this planet? Nope. Well taken. Avon Barksdale could run out there and be like, you know, I'm running for president, so you can't prosecute me for drug offenses. No. Yeah. So let's go. There, but there's the other P, right? Quick. There's the other P. There's the precedent, but there's also the politics that people uh, that people have made this argument that if Garland were to do this, uh, obviously Trump's going to make this argument, but it would be so political to indict Donald Trump, and then and then everything goes off the rails. It's political if you don't. Yeah. Because the only thing that's keeping him out of jail right now is politics. Yeah. Because, again, any other person in this situation would be prosecuted. I know that. You know who else knows that? Marion Barry knows that. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jesse Jackson Jr. knows that. Mm -hmm. Like, we know what we do to politicians who commit crimes. We prosecute criminals. So the only thing keeping Trump out of jail at this point is politics. Him saying that prosecuting him is political, that's just classic Trump throwing anything against the wall, trying to keep himself and his family out of jail. In our remaining moments with Ellie Mustall, when we come forward, the uh, court case that could legalize the next coup, Ellie Mustall continues in a moment on KBLA Talk 1580. 
We've got about five minutes left to unpack a little bit more with Ellie Mustall of The Nation magazine uh, and author of my favorite book of last year, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. If you're just now getting exposed to Ellie Mustall, shame on you, number one. But number two, uh, that's a book you'll want to read, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. And speaking of the Constitution, uh, we got, uh, again, a little less than five minutes, Ellie Mustall. I'll give it all to you to explain to unpack for us this court case that could legalize the next coup. Thanks, Tavis. So the case is called Moore v. Harper. Now, if you remember what the coup was really about, it was about the Republicans trying to submit fake electors, electors that hadn't won through the normal Democratic process, electors chosen by red state legislatures instead of the voters of those states, right? Now, that didn't work because it's illegal. But... This Supreme Court case, Moore v. Harper, is trying to make exactly that legal. It's trying to let the state legislatures choose um, the election laws, not the people of the state. Now, it gets a little bit legally complicated because we're talking, have to talk about constitutional interpretation um, and who gets to do it, right? Mm -hmm. As it currently stands, the state Supreme Court is the final arbiter over your state constitution. So you out in California, California State Supreme Court says what the California State Constitution means. Pretty simple, right? Mm -hmm. Republicans want to change it so that the California State Legislature is the final say on what the California State Constitution means, which basically allows them to change election laws willy-nilly as it seems fit. And mm. while, while that might not be terrible for California, it is very different in Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, states like that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the crux of this case. This all goes back to Bush v. Gore, because this theory, it's called the independent state legislature theory, was first surfaced by Republicans in Bush v. Gore as Republicans were casting about trying to find a way to make George Bush the president, even though the Florida, wait for it, state Supreme Court had ordered a recount of that election mm. between Bush and Gore. The lawyer most associated with pushing that theory on the Supreme Court was a young lawyer for George W. Bush's legal team named Brett Kavanaugh. Mm. <laughs> so that's, that's why we're here, folks. <laughs> now, I do have some hope. John Roberts has never been a fan of this theory. He's always thought it's a cuckoo kachoo um, kind of theory, and that makes sense. John Roberts wants to give more power to judges, not take power away from judges. Amy Coney Barrett hasn't really said anything about this theory, but at oral arguments, she seemed super skeptical. Now, Amy Coney Barrett has seemed skeptical and then voted with the right-wing crazy people before, but for what it's worth, she seemed skeptical. Even Kavanaugh seemed interested in trying to draw a distinction between the version of independent state legislature theory that he pushed versus the one that was in front of him at court. So there's still some hope that this doesn't happen. But the, the idea, the fundamental idea here is to make it so that Republican state legislatures can choose the election laws over and above what their state constitutions say mm -hmm. and what their state courts say. And it could just basically change the nature of American elections, if they win, if they get their way. Excuse me. Their questions in oral argument notwithstanding, um, why would they not? Um, if they can make another move consistent with all the other moves they've made, Ellie, uh, to, to give more power to the political right, why would this court as divided, 6-3, why would they not? 
because it's only more power to the political right in the immediate term. Mm -hmm. Like I said, there are Democratic state legislatures, too. And if you do it now, well, then later, if, uh, you know, I I know this is going to sound crazy, but imagine a Florida state Democratic Party that actually functions. You can imagine. (laughs) He 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 laughs out loud. He laughs out loud. Go ahead. (laughs) You can imagine a Florida state legislature controlled by Democrats using this exact power to to flip the election the other way, right? So it's the, the only reason why they wouldn't is that there is a fear that doing this doesn't actually help them in the long term. And they don't, and this is something I've said before, they don't actually need it. They've already gerrymandered uh, uh, voting power to the point that Republicans have a built-in advantage for every presidential election anyway. They already have the Electoral College. Like, all of this is more to service Trump's wackadoodle aims than actual Republican aims, which might be why there's some play with a Barrett, with a Kavanaugh, and certainly with a Roberts. With all due respect, give me your best. Give me Jeffrey Tubin. Give me Nina Totenberg. No, no disrespect. Can't none of them do it like uh, like Ellie Mustall does it. And I'm always delighted to have him on this program. He's uh, the justice correspondent for the Nation magazine and author of the New York Times bestselling text. Allow me to retort a black guy's guide to the Constitution. Ellie, we'll do it again. Have a great year. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Happy New Year, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. More of Tavis Smiley after news, traffic, and sports. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580.